All right. Good morning, Three Circle, all of our campuses that are joining us right now, and everyone online. We're going to continue the Gideon series today. We call it the Gideon series because that's who we're talking about, his story, but the point of the story is actually not Gideon or his life. It's God himself. We are learning about God himself through the story and life of Gideon. Gideon was a judge. These, these men and women who were raised up during this time in Israel's history, judges, you should not look at them like a judge today with a gavel in their hand and a robe on. That's not who they were. They were just leaders. And, and God had to raise up leaders because Israel had stopped doing what God told them to do. They were supposed to clear out the promised land. They did not. And when they stopped advancing, those nations that they were supposed to clear out began to advance on them. And not only did those nations begin to bully them, take their crops, make life really hard on them, but they also began to push onto the Israelites their way of worship, which was horrific. They worshiped Baal, a false god, an angry god, a vicious god who demanded child sacrifice, who demanded all sorts of rituals that were horrific. This began to happen. So where we pick up the story, God is raising up Gideon, an Israelite, to lead God's people against the Midianites and get them out of there. This, the Midianites were one of those nations that worshiped Baal and was bullying God's people. Now, week one, we looked at the fact that God raised up Gideon and meets him and says, hey, you're my man, I'm gonna use you. And Gideon argues with him, like literally for a chapter, he basically says, I'm not your guy. You picked the wrong guy. And God continues to say, no, no, I've chosen you and I'm gonna use you. And so he, he finally acquiesces to God's wishes. And so then you would think that once Gideon agreed that he was going to be the man to lead Israel against the Midianites, that his first battle would be against them, these bully, Baal-worshipping Midianites. That's not the first battle. We learned last week the first battle that Gideon had to fight was in his own backyard, in his own home, in his own family. His own dad had been a Baal worshiper. His own dad had built an altar to Baal. So God said, hey, before you fight the Midianites, you got to tear down that altar. So we learned last week that we have, to, we have to fight these battles before we can fight the ones outside of us. How many of you, the hardest battle you fight every day is the one looking at you in the mirror? Can we just be honest? Gideon had to learn that lesson. Well, today we're going to dive into another episode. And if Gideon is best known for the big battle he's going to fight, we're going to get there in two weeks, he's probably second best known for this that we're going to look at today. And I'm going to show you today two things. Number one, I'm going to show you hopefully that we've been using this and looking at this wrong for a long time. We're going to try to get it right today. Secondly, here's what I want to do. Okay. I want to take a big spoon and I want to insert it into the pot, the gumbo pot, if you will, since we're in, we're in, on the coast here and we love our gumbo, right? So let's say your heart and your affections is a big pot of gumbo. I'm going to stir it for a while. Okay. I want to stir your heart up for Jesus. That's what I want to do. I want us to look at one of God's great attributes that we rarely talk about through the lens of Gideon's life. And by the end of this day, I want you to leave here more confident in your walk with God. I want you to have your affections drawn to him. I want you to hate sin more than you ever had, not because I'm preaching on sin, but because I'm showing you how great God is. That's what I hope will happen today. So with all that said, Let's dive in to the next part of Gideon's story. So in Judges 6, 36 to 40, it says this. Then, then after he tears down the altar and all that, now it's time for him to go fight the big Midianite army, and it's time to get ready for that. Well, Gideon said to God, then Gideon said to God, if, you might want to underline if, because that's a problem word in this phrase. There should be no ifs. 
for Gideon anymore. God's made clear he's his man. God's made clear the plan. God has made clear what he's supposed to do, but he's still saying if. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, he, at least he's honest. At least he says, yeah, you did say it, but I'm still having a problem with it. Verse 37, behold, I'm laying, and here's what, here's what Gideon is second best known for, this. I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand. And again, he says it, as you have said. Hello? We've made this story about that fleece. If you grew up in church like I did, you heard it all the time. We need to put a fleece out in prayer. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with prayer. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying it's a misapplication. This story is not about Gideon's wacky way of praying. It's about the next line, verse 38. And it was so. Here's what should blow your mind. Not how cool Gideon's fleece was, but how good his God was. Because God's made clear to this man over and over again what he's going to do, and he still won't believe, and he's still using if. And now he's asking God to do these little wacky miracles to give him more confidence. And what you should see here is not Gideon, but God's goodness and kindness and patience. With all of that on the line, it says here, and it was so. That means God's very kind. He didn't have to do that. When he rose early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece. He wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. So you think, okay, we're good to go now. Let's go fight the Midianites. Not so fast. Gideon. Now, let's give him, hey, let's ease up because we're looking through the prism. We're Christians who have the entire word of God in our hands, the full counsel of the word of God. Gideon is a man who's learning how to follow the living God. He's been raised by a man who worships Baal. Baal was a God who demanded and didn't give. Baal was not a God you got to know. He was a God that you were scared of. So he's asking for signs because he's on shaky ground here, but still... It wasn't enough. So, verse 39, then Gideon said to God, I love how he does this, let not your anger burn against me. In other words, don't be mad at me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. And now he flips the miracle. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on all the ground let there be dew. And again, we make it about that. We're like, wow, what an interesting way to pray. No, 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 no. It's wacky. No, the story, once again, is the next line. And God did so. This means God's really good, really kind, and really patient. He's patient. God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground, there was dew. Now, what I want to show you here today is this is not a model for the way we should pray. This is not, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. I'm going to give you a prescriptive at the end of this message. God did tell us how to pray. This is not when he did. Gideon does not give us a prayer model. Gideon's approach to prayer is not a display of Gideon's faithfulness. Instead, it's a display of God's patience. That's what this is a display of. That's what we need to see are the two lines. God did so, and God did it that night. What this shows is God's kind and good and long-suffering, and he's patient. And we don't talk about God's patience enough. So today, we're going to. And I think in doing so, in looking at one of the wonderful attributes about the living God, it's going to make you 
love him more. It's going to make you have affection for him more. And that is going to have a powerful impact on my life and yours. So let's talk about patience for a second. How many of you would admit in this room that you are not patient? Can we just be? Yeah, I know all of you are not patient because you're humans, all right? You're human beings. And when we fell in sin, we lost our patience. In fact, when we become Christians, God begins to try to restore it. He tries to teach us patience. The Bible calls patience different words. Long-suffering is one of them that can be synonymous. Uh, Slow to anger is another that equals patience. In fact, the, the Greek word for patience means slow to boil. Okay, slow to boil. That is who God is. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a patient guy. Now, I'm going to show you a few things that, that really test my patience. And I bet many of you could say, well, here's my things. Well, let me tell you some of mine. Maybe you can relate. All right, this t- tests my patience. Say you're in a parking lot and it looks like that. And that's not what gets me. Okay, full parking lot, but you're, you kind of ro- swirl orbiting the parking lot, looking for a place to park. There is not one, cars are behind you too. And then all of a sudden, you, oh, there's lights pop on in one of the cars and you're like, yes, they're leaving, I got a spot. You hit the brakes, maybe even back up a little bit. Everything's cool. And what happens in the next few moments is something that I've never been able to determine. <laughs> the people in the car have turned the car on, the lights are on. Did they decide, I'm gonna read a book right now. I wanna read a book. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Or maybe a picnic lunch right here in the car. I don't know, but I know they're not moving. And then what happens, I don't know if you're like me. I begin, after a few minutes, I'm starting to tap on the, I'm tapping on the steering wheel. Everything inside of me, I, I'm losing my mind. And then I begin to have a conversation with people that can't hear me. They're in their car and I'm talking to them. I'm like, come on, what are you doing? Back out, get out of the, right? You've all been there. And the worst part of it is you, you will finally give up. You'll go, they're not leaving. The nanosecond, your car passes that, that spot. You look in the rearview mirror, they're backing out of that spot. Am I right? That tries my patience. You ever been in a grocery store? And there's all these spots where there could be people checking you out, right? happens all the time. Just lines and lines of them. At some places, like looks like 40 acres worth of it across there, right? But there's going to be one because, hey, we want you to spend your money in our store, but we only got to have one person checking you out because we really want to try your patience. And you just stand in that line waiting. And of course, there's somebody up there that's trying to decide how they're going to pay. You know, am I going to use a card? I don't know. Maybe this card, maybe a check. Ah, let me see if I've got some cash. They're paying, and everyone's just, and you're trying. And I, I wish I could tell you that I just begin to pray in those moments and quote the Psalms in my heart, but that's not what happens. It tries my patience. And then if you travel like I do some and you travel by air, the next picture, you're going to know what I'm talking about. Do I have to say any more? Why? What's the science behind it? I want to know what's happening. Why when the plane stops and they say, okay, you can exit. Why is it 30 minutes of just sitting there? What is so hard about getting up, like going ahead and being prepared? You've known, you've felt the plane. They told you, we're coming on down, right? That's when to get, get your stuff together, get your little baggie, whatever you got going, whatever you had, get it all in. Not when we stop, not when it's your turn now to get your stuff together and be thinking, hey, I'm gonna, there's my luggage right there. You know how this goes, right? And, and I don't know why. I wish I could tell you in those moments, I just begin to thank the Lord for his goodness but I do not. 
tries my patience. And I bet you could put stuff up there that makes you impatient. Now, here's the danger. We all are admitting we're impatient. Here's the danger zone. When you begin to project on God your impatience, when we as believers begin to think, well, he's like us. He's just like us. He's impatient like I am. That's the danger zone. He is not like us. And this is the best of news today, okay? God is better, higher, beyond us. He made us in his image. But we are not on the same level here, guys. Isaiah 55 and 9, God said this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. His ways are not like our ways. He's not impatient like we are. In fact, he gives you a a descriptor here. He says, like the heavens are to the earth. Like, that's a long way, right? I hear it last night. I was watching uh, the the NBA semifinals and LeBron's out there. And let me tell you, LeBron and I share a lot in common. We're humans. We breathe and we eat. And that's it. LeBron is six foot nine, 270 pounds, runs like a deer, Jumps like, uh, I don't know, he can jump out of the gym. He did stuff last night and I'm like, yeah, he does not remind me of me at all. We got some similarities, like that much. Everything else, he's on a whole nother level, okay? And if you can just go, God, like God's on a level that's so far beyond even that. The, The chasm between our attributes and God's attributes is so far and long. And that's not bad news. It's not meant to make us feel just so small. No, it's meant to make us see how big and good and great he is. It's really good news that he's not because here's the deal. If you project on him that he's impatient and quick to anger and quick to be bitter and quick to not forgive like we are, you won't enjoy him the way you should. You won't run to him like you should. You won't believe him when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And here's why. Because my burden is light and my yoke is easy. You won't believe him. Because you've never known anyone who had a light burden and an easy yoke. Humans don't have easy yokes and light burdens. We're hard to deal with. Right? Not God. John Owen, a great theologian from the past, and I just give you this quote in his old English way. Here's what he says. Want of due consideration of him, God, with whom we have to do, measuring him by that line of our own imaginations, what happens when we do that? Bringing him down under our own thoughts and our own ways. And then he makes a stunning claim. He says, if you do all of that, it's the cause of all our disquietments. I love that word. When I say the word disquietments, I feel like my IQ just went up just naturally. I just feel smarter. I'm going to look at my kids the next time things get rowdy at the house. I'm going to say, you're causing disquietment for dad right now. And just, they'll feel how smart I am, right? But what's John Owen, this old theologian trying to get us to see? Watch this. He's saying, once you become a believer, if you don't see God for who he tells you he is, and instead you see God through the lens of who you are, or your abusive dad, or your mom who walked out on you, or that husband that cheated on you, or that wife that walked out, or that divorce that happened, or that boss that was a If you project on God all the stuff you felt, and even how you know you yourself are, if you project that on God, you have missed it. You are missing out on who he really is. That's not who he is at all, and it will cause you unbelievable unending anxieties and fears and and insecurities as a believer. That's what he says. 
if you don't see God for who he is. So today, let's let him tell us who he is. He does tell you throughout the word about his patience, his slow to angerness, his slow to boil character. The living God that we see in the Bible is relentlessly patient. We are, as humans, relentlessly impatient. That's why we invented microwaves. It's like, let's cook it fast. We now have air fryers fast, okay? But God is relentlessly patient. And as we walk through the biblical evidence of his patience, let's remember that we first started with Gideon. Gideon is evidence. Gideon does not have a strong prayer life yet. He's doing wacky stuff. Okay, God, let me put out a blanket. If it gets wet here, and, and then it's not enough. Well, let me do it the other way. And, and every one of us, I think, would have looked at him and said, you know what, no more. I told you, I've been clear, either get on the program or not, I'll go find another guy. Not God. It's astounding, isn't it, now that you look at it through that prism, that God said, yes, I'll do that. And then again, okay, I'll do that. Because God needed Gideon, who had grown up in a home that worshipped a false god, who only made demands and never gave a thing. He needed Gideon to know that the true God... That's not who he is. The true God will give way more than you can ever offer him. The true God cares about you enough to meet you right where you are, enough to meet Gideon at a fleece, enough to meet all of humanity at a cross. That's who he is, relentlessly patient. As we look at the biblical evidence, would you just reflect today on how good he has been to you? As we look at each one of these, I want you to think, how has he demonstrated this in my own life? First thing we know in the Bible is that God is slow to anger. The Old Testament begins to develop the theme that he's slow to anger. This was in direct contrast to the gods of the nations surrounding Israel because they were all quick to anger. In fact, you just came out of the gate angry with false gods. Why would all false gods be angry, impatient, Quick to anger gods. Why? Why would every false god that was ever in the Old Testament be not one of them are gracious, not one of them are kind. They all made unbelievable demands right down to child sacrifice. Why? Because they were made by humans. And we made them in our image. But God looks at his people Israel and he says, you need to know who I am. That is not who I am. I'm slow to anger. Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before him and he proclaimed. Who proclaimed? So who is it? This isn't someone talking about God. This is God talking about God. God's telling you who he is. Humans love to tell people who we are, by the way. One thing I know about every conversation I have with a human is that they like to talk about them. And I like to talk about me because we're human. That's why Facebook and all that works. We want the world to know. We, we've got this thing inside of us that we want to be known. We have a good meal. We want everybody to know we had it. We, we have a good idea, sometimes even a bad one. We'll just put it out there. We want, I want to be known. And that's not actually a bad thing. It's how God made you. Because you know who also wants to be known in a healthy way? God. He wants you to know him. So here he is, and he's like, you want to know who I am? The Lord. The Lord. A God merciful gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So when God gets a chance to tell you who he is, he says, you need to know who I am. I'm not like the others. I'm mightier and stronger than your false gods. And at the same time, I'm good. I'm gracious. 
I'm kind. I'm slow to anger. Do you know how stunning that was for the Israelites to hear? For Gideon to hear? It may be stunning for you to hear today. And I hope that it stirs your heart to want to be closer to him. Because why wouldn't we want to be close to a God that mighty and that good? Now, before we move on with more of his kindness, you need to know the function of it. What is God trying to do by showing us how good he is? Well, God's kindness is meant to deter our sinfulness, not excuse it. So if you're sitting here going, whoa, whoa, Chris, better hit the brakes. If you let everyone in on how good and kind and slow to anger God is, they might take advantage of it and sin more. They might take advantage. Well, that's not what the Apostle Paul said. Look what he said in Romans 2.4. He warns us, do not presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance. And there's the word, patience. And then he tells you what God's up to. Don't you know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Now, how does this work? Okay, I'll just give it to you in a nutshell. We're, religion kind of, it's hard for us to break out of it. Religion teaches us that if we're going to follow God, we need to follow his rules. And so, anytime we break his rules, and we're right about a lot of this, right, is sin. And we should take sin serious. So what we do to sin less is we go on a, we, we focus on our sin. We're on a sin quest. We're going to destroy the sin in our life. So we work really hard. And we're like, I'm not going to think that way anymore. And I'm not going to react that way anymore. And I'm not going to look at that anymore. And I'm going to change. I'm going to change. And we're fo- like, God and his glory is here. And we're focused on our sin. And you know what ends up happening? We sin more. We sin more. The Bible tells you to turn. Don't, don't focus on that. And focus on who God is. And loving him, Jesus said to his disciples, abide in me, stay close to me, put your roots down in me, look at who I am, listen to who I am. And watch this, as your affection for God grows, your desire for sin goes down every single time. The more you love God, the less you love sin. The more you know God, the more disgusted you'll be with your own sin. That's how this happens. You in, you're, you're not begrudgingly complying to a, a horrible, mean, vicious God like Baal and all the others in the Old Testament. No, no. This is the living God who created everything that we have around us, and he's inviting us into relationship. And when you see his goodness like you are today, that's my hope. My hope is many of you will walk out of here, and you will have victory over some sin in your life that you never have. And it'll be because today you realize how good God is. Amen. Period. You'll go, I never want to do that again. I never want to fail him again. Not in a, I'm scared to death of him way, in a, I love him. Man, boy, that's a different way of walking with God, isn't it? I think it's the way, of the, the way that the Bible tells us, the Bible teaches us this. Also, we know that God offers mercy when we deserve condemnation. We see this throughout the Bible. Nehemiah, in his story, they, they were blown away when they looked back on God's goodness to his people When he led them across the Red Sea, they got into the wilderness. And at their first sign of trouble, do you remember the story? They wanted to go back to slavery. They were like, well, at least we got three meals a day. Wow. Hey, do you you think that would have been a good moment for God? You know, I think I'll go get another country. 
I think I'll get another group of people to work with. You guys are driving me crazy. No, look what Nehemiah said. So first of all, he tells you all the reasons God could have been impatient with his people. He says they refused to obey. They were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. They stiffened their neck. They appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But, everyone say but. So you could write your own story where we just did Israel's. You know what you could say about me? Chris was hard to deal with. Chris didn't trust when he should have trusted. He was fearful when he should have been courageous. And then other times he was courageous when he should have been fearful. And he just got it all wrong. And, but my story is like yours. The gospel story is Chris Bell is a mess. But. But you are a God read, ready to forgive, gracious, and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. He could have. He did not forsake his people. And he won't forsake you. This is the same God that we serve, that we worship, that we sing to. In church, you can be confident he will not forsake you. He will wear you out, working the sin out of your life, but he will never let go of you. Now, if we're recipients and we know this about God, we become vessels of his patience and mercy. That's exactly the language that the Bible uses. We become vessels that carry the evidence that we have received and we understand his patience and his mercy. Let's look at Romans 9, 22 through 24. Paul's making an argument. He says, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience... Vessels of wrath prepare for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, that's us, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. That means that God is sovereign. Verse 24, even us whom he has called, not only from the Jews, also from the Gentiles, which is probably most of us. What is he saying? He's saying that we who, when we get to know who God is, we carry it inside of us. You can, you can see the evidence of it. Let me, let me tell you kind of what this means. I, love, I like dogs. How many of you are dog people? You like dogs? All right, dogs are cool. Um, and if you've ever been around a new dog that you've never seen, you see it somewhere, you can tell when a dog has been abused. Dogs let you know really fast. Humans are better at, at, at hiding it. Dogs cannot hide it. You, so you see a dog, you reach out to pet them. And the dog that, that has been abused typically will not growl at you. Typically, they will wince. You ever seen a dog do like this? As soon as a human hand comes towards them, like, mm, what's going to happen here? And they pull their head back. That dog's telling you something. That animal is carrying inside of it. It is a vessel. You can't, when you experience things, they go into the pot. They go into your life. You hold it, and there it is. And there it is. It comes out. I've coached kids in basketball and baseball and soccer through the years with my kids, and I could tell a kid that, I'm telling you, I, I see kids who have been, you could tell they're verbally abused at home. Or at the very least, they have no encouragement. Because the first time they make a mistake and they didn't know me or the coaches I coached with, they, you could just tell they were like, here it comes. I just messed up. And so when they get encouraged, it's, like, oh, it's just baseball, it's okay. Well, they just, you can just see them just open up and go, oh my goodness, right? They were carrying that. Well, folks, we as Christians, we should be carrying with us the fact that our God is gracious and good and people should see it. We are vessels of goodness. Because I can also tell a dog that's been treated good when like you're like, hey, buddy, boom, they're in your lap. You know, they love humans. They're like, belly rub, come on, give me a belly rub. 
And I'm like, yep, you've been treated right. Been treated good. I've been around the kids who you go, somebody, you ever been around a kid and you go, I'd love to meet your parents. Because something's up right here, man. Something, something's happening. You're, you're in some kind of good environment. I'm seeing it. You carry it. You're a vessel of it. Are we? Are we vessels of that? Because we live in fear and condemnation and shame and insecurity. We're telling the world a wrong story. We're not telling the world the right story. So God wanted Gideon to go down the hill with confidence. He wanted those other nations to go wonder who his daddy is. Not only that, if we are vessels, we are to show the world his patience. They're to see that we follow a patient God in our own lives through those he saves. In 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, it says this. And Paul wrote this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. That is an astounding phrase. There are people that he is going to bring to himself in the mystery of salvation. And one of the tools he's going to pull from the bag is people like you and I who experienced his patience that show that. Like one of the magnetic pulls for lost people to a saving God will be us when people go, what is it about you? Who is your God, right? Who is your dad? Who's your daddy? You know what I mean? Who do you belong to? What is it in your life? We're able to show his goodness, man. I want to put all that together today. My hope is that not only are your affections for him stirred, but I hope you feel the magnetic pull. As believers, I hope that you go, I want to be closer. I want to know him more. I want to go deeper with my walk with God. I'm reminded today how good. Some of you may have kind of fallen into a bad season in your life and you're thinking, man, the last thing God wants is for me to come walking back through the door. Could he be more clear in the Bible that he is waiting for you to walk back through the door, that he loves you? In fact, I would say God's patience demonstrated throughout the Bible and today with Gideon is an invitation for us to run to him. The point of the story is not for you to do the wacky stuff that Gideon did. You don't have to do cool stuff in your prayer life. You run, and there are people like this, you know, they're praying and they, they're always looking for a sign instead of just the Bible and having the word, you know, bluebird flies by their window when they're praying and think, well, that the Lord's spoken to me. I got to go buy a blue car. Just read your Bible. You don't have to jump through hoops. Jesus made clear when you pray, you don't have to pray wacky prayers. You don't have to go on and on. I love that he's even like, you don't have to go on and on and on like the pagans do. Just come and pray. God's already taken care of it. Or you just come to him. It's an invitation. And now you hear the words of Jesus differently, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. He really means that. You will not wear him out. I'll tell you something. You know, if you really want to get to know someone, like go, go on a trip with them, you know, and then you're like, okay, boy, they're on my nerves. You know what I mean? How that happens? 
But I'll tell you one thing. If you and I went on a trip together, two things I know would happen. Number one, you'd probably get on my nerves a little bit. I know for sure that I'd get on yours because I know me. I'd wear you out. God's not like that. Here's the deal. God is not worn out by you. You are not trying his patience. He loves you. If you're his child, there's never going to be an end to his love and patience for you. Now, he has demands. He'll change you. He'll whittle away, but he loves you. He will not forsake you. He didn't Israel. He didn't Gideon. He didn't the disciples. He didn't Peter when he denied him. And he's not going to, hey, he's not changed. He's not going to deny you, forsake you, walk out on you. He's not rolling his eyes when you walk in the room. He's not like, here she comes again when you pray. (laughs) This is how good he is. It's an invitation. Psalm 130 To Israel and all of us, O Israel, hope in the Lord with the Lord. There's steadfast love. It doesn't change. And there's plentiful redemption. I'm glad for that. Plentiful. He's not running out of energy for us, love for us, grace for us, redemption for us. He will never run out. And so we thought, how should we respond today? And I thought, here's how. Gideon, since Gideon did not give us a way to pray, that's not how to pray. Gideon's showing us how good God is. But Jesus did give us a way to pray. So Gideon does not give us a guide to prayer. Jesus did, though. And we thought the best way to do this today would be for us to actually pray the way God told us to pray. In confidence, in faith, and grace. So I'm going to pray over our word that we've had. And then our team's going to come and we're going to pray together the way God told us to. And I hope today your affection for Jesus is stirred. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your patience. We're astounded by it. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.